Welcome to the CA Agenda podcast, brought to you by ICAS. On this episode, host Indy Hote is joined by ICAS President Catherine Burnett. During this episode, Indy and Catherine discuss the work of the ICAS Guthrie Group, which has since been renamed the EDI Committee. Catherine, an absolute pleasure to have you on the CA Agenda podcast. Thank you, Indy, and it's a pleasure to be here, especially with a fellow office bearer. Yes, yes, indeed. A lot, a lot has changed since our last series <laughs> of the uh, podcast. As the president of of ITAS, um, a very, very important role. And before we before we delve into that more specifically, I'd be very, very keen to understand a bit more about your about your career as a as a CA. What what got you into um, uh, choosing accountancy as a profession in the first instance? Um, I, I think it was maybe less of a choice and more of a uh, what will I'm going to do next with my with my life. So I had um, actually originally intended to study medicine uh, when I was at school, um, but as I um, completed my A levels, um, decided that that probably wasn't going to be the career for me, um, and decided to um, pursue a subject which I'd enjoyed at school, which was biology. Um, and I also decided that rather going to Queen's University in Belfast, which I'd originally thought I would do, um, I wanted to go slightly further afield. So I um, took the opportunity and was offered a place at St Andrews University to study biology and, and went there to study. I completed all of my degree. Um, and when I got to the end of my degree, I guess that was another point at which I had to make a decision about which route I was going to go down. Um, I'd actually ended up somehow converting during my degree to a geography degree, um, which didn't necessarily naturally take me down any route in terms of career. Uh, and I remember having a conversation with my dad, which was along the lines of, I'm not really sure what I want to do. Um, I've had an offer from KPMG and a couple of other accountancy firms. I'm not sure accountancy is for me, um, but I've had an offer. And he said, well, Catherine, You've had a number of years at university now. Um, I've supported you well. Maybe now is the time to take to take the the plunge and to, and have a job. Um, and 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 so I did go into accountancy, not really knowing a great deal about it, um, but absolutely loved it right from the very start. In terms of it was a really great blend of learning and meeting new people, working with a huge variety of clients. Um, and just loved it right from the very start. So not necessarily a, a career that I set out on deliberately, um, but very firmly once I was in that career path, um, very, very comfortable and really happy to pursue it. Well, what what a journey they're going from biology to geography <laughs> and then deciding to train train as a, as a CA with, with, with KPMG. That, that's quite the journey. It's quite interesting. You said that. I think from my perspective, it, it just shows the power of being able to enter enter the industry that you don't necessarily need yeah. to have a finance or accountancy related background. Actually, there, there's value in, in exploring other subjects and there's still an opportunity to join, join the profession um, after sort of formal education at university. Absolutely. And that continues to be the case today. So, even you know, today when we are recruiting, um, we are we recruit right across. Um, you know, subjects, both um, both university, but also people straight from school. Um, and I just think sometimes those different backgrounds bring 
a lot more um, color to what we do at work um, and a broad range of perspectives, which is great. Most definitely, and I think you 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 brought up a an important point there in terms of having a a diverse workforce and profession. And I know there's all there's been a lot of discussion in the industry in many different industries around the topic of EDI and specifically around around avoiding the what what many people term as sort of groupthink mentality when you've got similar style working styles and similar styles of people in specific specific industries. I know one of the key focuses as president has been raising the profile and principles of equality, diversity and inclusion within ICAS and the broader business. So do you want to talk us through why 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 EDNI is such a big focus for you? Yeah, happy to. I mean, for me, you know, I feel so strongly that equality, diversity and inclusivity are critical for us to be a success. So it's not a nice to have at all, it's critical. You know, both at ICAST, but also in business and for myself at KPMG, having diverse views improves our approach, it improves our decisions. Um, but it's not just having the diversity, you've got to have inclusivity as well, because actually it's really important to ensure that everyone is comfortable and is prepared to share those diverse views. So you have to have both in order to get the real benefit from it. Um, and in some ways, some of this is quite personal. So, so my mum and dad raised me and my brother very equally, telling us both that we could achieve, you know, whatever we wanted to set out to do. But sometimes you do need the environment or the role models to really understand what's possible. Um, so I was actually interviewed by a female partner for my role at KPMG back in 1994. So I always knew actually from, from day one that I could be a partner at KPMG because that was sort of the expectation that was set right from day one um, when I came for my interview. Um, you know, what I didn't expect, for example, uh, was to be president of ICAS um, someday, 23 years after qualifying with them. Um, and maybe that you know, from a practical point of view was when I looked into, when I looked at that role, I wasn't sure I could really make it work from a practical point of view in terms of balancing work, life, ICAS and all of the things that come with it. You know, but back to, you know, how we, how we look, how we look at these and how we see role models. Um, I hope that, you know, what I've been able to do in terms of carrying out the role this year, um, maybe differently from before, is that it sets a new role model of what's possible. Because um, I, you know, I genuinely believe if we can achieve equality, diversity and inclusivity all combined, everybody should be able to achieve their potential. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Catherine. It's a really, really insightful words, but I think the piece around role models uh, is really, really interesting. So the fact that during your first interview, there there was a female partner who was interviewing you, and the fact that you can recall that so so vividly as well, uh, and, and the importance of having those role models. So whether overtly or, or, or subconsciously, you 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 made that realization that you could be a partner, you could you could have that role someday within the organization. So in terms of looking at role models in the in the workplace, how do you think organizations could work towards, you know, making sure that they do have those role models and making sure those role models are visible specifically and especially for um, younger employees and the younger side of the workforce? I mean, I think the, the you know, the best advice is, um, 
to sort of understand where you are now in terms of do we have those role models? Are they visible? Um, so, it, you know, you really have to start with understanding where you are right now, understanding the, you know, in some ways it's, you know, and maybe this is just an accounting point of view is really getting to grips with the data and understanding just what diversity um, you have within the organisation and then thinking about how you can start to shift that, um, you know, and role models don't need to necessarily be senior members of teams or, you know, it doesn't have to be the chief executive, doesn't have to be the board. Um, I think we can we can much better use, um, uh, you know, our full workforce to act as role models within organisations. So, for example, at KPMG, we have the concept of a shadow board, which is a group of younger colleagues from across the business, from diverse backgrounds who work with me and the leadership on, you know, for example, how we, you know, how we communicate within the business. They give me very direct and honest feedback on how that goes. Um, and, and I actually think a lot of them are now perceived within our business as role models in terms of, you know, what people want to achieve or how they want to work. I completely agree with you in relation to uh, role models and the fact that it doesn't necessarily need to be senior leadership and the fact that you have this shadow board just highlighting that you're taking on board those experiences of, 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 of um, the younger workforce or younger uh, employees and making sure that 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 is relevant to the organization as well I know there's a there's a popular quote that that resonates with me when on the topic of ED&I in the workplace and that is diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is is, is being asked to dance so when we move away from the topic of diversity how do you think organizations and, and businesses can create an inclusive environment uh, within the workforce? I, I think it is about, um, I think some of it's just quite practical in terms of, you know, does that come through in terms of just how you operate right across the board? So whether that's from a recruitment, um, a training, a performance management, um, reward perspective, is do you truly um, build inclusivity in throughout all of that? Um, you know, I was I was talking to somebody the other day who was talking about apparently there's a new app on the market which can assess your job applications in terms of how um, diverse and inclusive they are in terms of you know, the people that are likely to respond to them. It gives you a score out of 100 and then highlights the words that you might want to change and to make that a more inclusive job advert. So I think you know, some of those types of practical things that we can do to ensure that how we, how we ask people to join us in the organization and then how we ask them to step forward once they are part of our organization is really important. That's a fantastic example there, Catherine, of how you know some practical steps that organisations can take to remove elements of bias and make sure that they 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 recruit a diverse workforce and and ensure they have an inclusive environment. Going back to your role as president um, within ICAS, um, a very visible role, and no doubt you'll have inspired many many people, especially women within the profession, to 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 recognise that they they could one day be a future president of, of the Institute. So tell us a bit more about your role as ICAS president over, over the last year. I think you could say it's 
probably quite different to previous presidents' roles. <laughs> uh, right, right from the very start, when um, I took over as president at the very first virtual AGM that ICAS has ever held it's in its 165-year history. Um, and similar, I guess, to most people's experience over the last six to nine months, um, there have been um, you know, both downsides and positives to how we are living our lives during this pandemic. And that includes um, the time that I um, have been lucky enough to be president at ICAS. Um, you know, the themes and the areas that I wanted to focus on have remained the same. So diversity and inclusion that we've touched about, talked about, um, sustainability, connecting with our membership. But, you know, that's been against a backdrop of huge amount of change at ICAS as an organisation. Um, so from a very personal point of view, I'm incredibly proud of what ICAS has achieved. I am incredibly grateful for the wonderful support that I've had from both you and Bruce Pritchard as office bearers, but also council um, and bearing with me as I've tried to chair um, teams council meetings as opposed to being face to face. Um, but I really, I do really miss the personal contact. So, you know, the, those chats that you could have had with um, members at events before and after the events where you get maybe a bit more insight as to how they're feeling, about their sort of connection with the, with the Institute. Um, so I, I, that's the bit that I miss is that personal contact. Um, and, and I think we are, we're definitely starting to think about how we can recreate some of that um, more networking and personal contact through some of the events at ICAST so we can hopefully get some of that before I move on. Um, but I do hope that, you know, as we emerge from the pandemic, we take some of the positives from this experience. And I think one of the positives will be, you know, that I, I hope that there'll be a bit of a modernization around the president's role in terms of, you know, that it will feel much more accessible um, to others in terms of them looking at it and saying, well, actually, I could do that even in even if I do have, you know, a full time role or, you know, no matter what my background is. It's, it's definitely been a, a challenging year on, on many fronts. And I can I can attest to the fact that you've done a fantastic job in terms of um, chairing virtual meetings and boards, mm -hmm. especially the virtual virtual AGM. So thank you for everything that, that, that you've done there. I'm I'm very glad to hear that you you recognise that you know, the world has shifted in some respects permanently, in other respects, you know, going back to sense of sense of normality. There, um, could you talk me through what what the institute has done over the over the last nine to ten months in terms of operating in a, in a digital environment? Because there's been a huge level of change in terms of the way education is delivered and how we connect with our members, and it'll be interesting to to hear a little bit more from your perspective. Sure. So I, I mean, I, when I look back, um, it, it, you know, it, it literally stuns me just how much has been achieved. Uh, and I think even, you know, Bruce uh, Cartwright, the chief exec and the exec team would say the same, which is we have probably achieved in six months what you know, may have taken a number of years to achieve um, in a normal environment. Um, so whether it's, you know, the fact that uh, we've taken all of our teaching and exams online, which has allowed students to continue to progress their qualification and their careers. Um, there's been virtual regulatory visits to firms to ensure that we maintain quality. Um, the success of the online CA Summit, 
uh, where we had hundreds of attendees, not just from the UK, but actually from numerous um, countries. Um, and then the webinars that the team have been running, which has covered a huge range of topics um, to share knowledge, topics, focus on key issues, whether that's the job retention scheme from a very practical point of view, or actually focused on the well-being of teams. So, you know, and all of that has been delivered by a team at ICAS um, that had to move to remote working literally overnight in March this year. And, and were themselves in many cases juggling work, childcare and homeschooling like many of us. Um, so I think there's, there's been a huge amount of achievement, um, but we know that there is always more that we can do. Um, there's, you know, in the, I think one of the things we've noticed is the speed of change means that there's always new ideas or new ways that we could be approaching it. Um, so I know certainly from myself and from Bruce, we always welcome ideas on what else is possible or what, what the members would, would like to see from ICAS. I completely agree with you there, Catherine. I've, I've seen a tremendous change over the last uh, eight to nine months in terms of what the Institute has been doing in terms of online delivery of education and especially around the connecting members and, 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 and in terms of the webinars and events that we've been hosting. It's been, it's been wonderful to connect with, especially our international members who sometimes in a face-to-face -face environment obviously is not, not not possible but being able to connect with them over webinars and have those 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 conversations on key topics affecting the industry has been been extremely extremely useful. I agree um, the only thing I was going to add it has been so normally I would have been jetting around the world to meet some of our members in different locations um, and so certainly for me to be able to have those conversations with some of our members so I've spoken to members in the states in Australia um, done in London, um, you know, without having to necessarily travel is, is, is in some ways a positive. So I'm sure it would be good to go back to being able to do some of that face to face. But equally, when you reflect on some of the, particularly from a sustainability point of view and um, sort of having zero carbon impact, you know, I think there are also positives in there. Uh, Catherine, in an interview for CA Mag that you gave back in July, you said, if you told me in 1997, one day, Catherine, you're going to be involved in helping shape ICAS's strategy and become president, I would have looked at you as if you'd had 20 heads, never mind two. Now, I'm not sure what kind of reaction you would have in the fact that you've taken on this role during a global pandemic. So how do you think this pandemic around COVID-19 has affected your, your role as, as president? I, I think the most significant impact has been not not being able to have some of that face-to-face -face contact uh, with members in particular. Um, you know, ICAS is a member organization. Um, so members and what, you know, their views on ICAS and how we engage with them is in incredibly important. You know, it's critical. And so not being able to do that face-to-face -face, um, is, is a real shame. Um, for me and you know what I do appreciate is that while the digital format works for many people it won't necessarily work for all of our members um, and so there are definitely um, experiences which um, if we don't get to beyond the pandemic before my presidential year ends I know I will look back and think that you know it was a shame I would have really liked to have done that um, so things like the graduation ceremony for example where you get the opportunity to 
um, meet and engage with all of the new students um, as they graduate from ICAST and their families is just an amazing, amazing day. Um, and is the sort is the sort of experience that you know would be really I would really love to have had, but I think is potentially not going to happen this year. Catherine, completely agree with you there. I think the last few months has been challenging on a number of fronts and for many organisations. Whilst there have been benefits around being around being able to connect digitally through through webinars with so many CAs and other members to to discuss important issues, there are key dates in the calendar that. Um, are generally face-to-face, -face, which, which we won't be able to do, such as the, the graduation ceremony. And I know it's always a very, very big and important calendar. I can still remember uh, when I had first qualified as well, how much of a significant moment and milestone it was for myself as well. But no doubt, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can make sure we get you in the, uh, in, in the future ceremony when we are able to go back to a face-to-face -face environment. Absolutely. And you're, and you're right. I think the, the important thing is that we take forward the positives and the digital side, which um, will actually allow us to engage better with members and combine that with the face to face in the right way. And, and you know, that is very much on the minds of myself, Bruce and the other Afrosparers is what is the right combination once we do have the opportunity to move forward. So Catherine, your role with KPMG sees you working with some of the world's largest financial services in institutions and, and organisations. How are they harnessing technology to craft their offering for customers during the pandemic? It, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think a lot of a lot of organisations have really refocused their efforts around digital and technology. Um, many organisations were thinking about it pre the pandemic. And again, not dissimilar to ICAS, the pandemic has really accelerated what they're doing. Um, I think one of the one of the interesting things we've just issued our annual customer report, which focuses on the views and needs of the customer, assesses the experience with a broad range of businesses, um, including financial services, um, and that's telling us that what that customer looks like 41 percent are working from home more and 56 percent believe that will continue and um, 58 percent have changed their channel of interaction and um, whether that's with their banks or their retailers with 80 percent saying that they intend to stay with that new channel so i think it's really interesting that customer expectations on businesses have completely changed i think customers also want a more much more personalized experience and again, that is being reflected in some of the technology that institutions are using. Um, I think one of the things that, that interested me that emerged from the survey was um, people looking for much more alignment um, with the organizations that they either bought from, whether it was retailers or banks in terms of providing a service, in terms of um, over a third believing it's really important that the business values aligned to theirs and that increased to over 50% for the 18 to 34 year olds. So I think there's just some really interesting dynamics happening in the sort of consumer behaviour which then has to be reflected in the organisations that are engaging with them.
No, I, I'd agree with the, with, with, with the findings. There. There's, a, there's a big piece there around channels, so moving towards more of a digital channel and engaging with organisations. The piece around pers personalisation and customer personalisation I find quite interesting. I think we've all become quite demanding consumers in, in that respect, and we expect to have a, a, a curated and personalised experience. And then the alignment piece around values of a, of a brand and organisation and consumers wanting to be aligned to those values, I think, really came to the forefront during the beginning of the pandemic as you know eyeballs and, and viewers on you know what, what organizations doing to support its people to support its local communities and to support you know the efforts against against the pandemic as well absolutely you know i think there's if you look at technology and digital it can almost it can almost take you beyond your local community in some respects because it can take you global but actually local community um, and responsibility and accountability and what businesses were doing also became really important. So I just find it a really interesting dynamic that sort of you know, digital can take you global, but actually what people were really concerned about was what was happening locally as well. One point I'd like to pick up on specifically was around the, the, the working from home. So we've seen many organisations have a huge structural shift in terms of the way they operate and the way they work with, with their people and teams. You know, we, we, we know some industries are quite mature in sort of virtual and remote working and other industries less so. Do you think this rise in remote working is something that is here to stay? Absolutely. Um, I, I don't think we will. I, well, I don't think many businesses will go back to the way they worked before, which was, you know, a sort of still quite a traditional for many organisations, nine to five, five days a week. Um, you know, I think we have we have given people the flexibility, uh, much more flexibility as to how and when they work. Um, and I would hope that we would be able to maintain that going forward. So there's a, you know, there's a huge number of positives in that, but there's also challenges because, you know, like I mentioned in terms of my presidential year, missing out on that face-to-face -face contact, I think that's what a lot of people miss um, from the work environment as well. So again, I think it will be a hybrid approach when we, when we all are able to return um, to the, the offices and face-to-face -face contact. And, and I think the, the other thing to really focus on, and I know, um, you know, ICAST has got um, its wellbeing site, which um, has been really well received by members, is, you know, I don't think we should underestimate the impact on wellbeing in terms of working remotely. And that has been a big focus um, for us at ICAST, but also for me at KPMG, is how do we continue to ensure that we look after um, our colleagues and each other um, when we're not able to see them um, you, you know, as much as we might have done if we were in the office. And, and especially here in Scotland, going back into a long winter when um, it's dark in the mornings and dark in the afternoons, you know, how do we ensure that people um, have the right balance? So for example, we're encouraging all of our teams to um, you know, get out for a walk, um, see some daylight, you know, in the middle of the day and make sure they do take a proper break. But I know there's many things that, that businesses and ICAS are doing around that. No doubt. I imagine mental health being a significant topic for the for the boardroom agenda. I remember reading a, a recent World Economic Forum report 
uh, around mental health in the workplace. And I think the cost is projected to rise to circa $6 trillion globally by 2030, um, according to estimates around the impact of mental health on businesses. And no doubt, I think we'll see an increased focus um, over, over the next decade around how we tackle that and, and support people's well, well-being. Catherine, on the topic of equality, diversity and inclusion, and we've talked about how you are championing a number of uh, topics within that, within ICAS and also within KPMG, I'd be great to hear a little bit more around uh, what ICAS is doing as a membership organisation on this particular topic. Sure. I mean, I think the one of the keys to um, the focus on EDI from an ICAS point of view was the creation of the Guthrie Group, which was created back in 2019. And actually, um, the very first meeting I went to um, after I took over as president was a Guthrie Group meeting um, because I was really keen to understand what they were focused on and how I as president could support that. Um, we actually, during 2020, put up, up put out a call for um, new members um, and were inundated um, with applications and people who were interested, which I think just goes to show just how, how much ICAST members are interested in this topic. Um, so I, you know, the Guthrie Group is going from strength to strength um, and really helping us focus on the important topics uh, that we need to be talking about at ICAST. Um, and, and hopefully also visible in our communications. So the fact that we have for the first time been very visibly part of um, Black History Month, um, supporting the Pride Month in September. Yeah, I think all of those things go to um, just indicating how, how um, important a focus it is for ICAS. I completely agree. I've, I've been really glad to see some of the, the messaging for particular community groups over, over the last few months, especially around Black History Month and, and Pride, for example, and just the level of engagement we've seen with members in terms of, of the Guthrie group to, to provide positive change into the profession. And I think it goes back to our earlier conversation around provide, making sure that the profession is accessible to all those in, in society. Absolutely. I would like everybody to be able to look at ICAS and say, hmm, that's a qualification I'd like to have. No doubt there's there's lots more work to be to be done in that space. I'll be really keen to hear your thoughts on what organizations could be doing in, 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 in this space to to improve it, improve its diversity and, and inclusiveness. Um I you know, I think the the organizations that do it best have incorporated diversity inclusion into all aspects of what they do. Um, so have worked really hard to look at um, whether it's their recruitment, their performance reviews, promotions, mentoring, sponsorship, training, diversity networks. You know, organisations that have done this well have looked at the full spectrum of where they can tackle ED&I. Um, you know, and some, you know, quite practical things. So I remember, and, and this is a number of years ago now, when we, there was a significant focus on gender diversity. Um, what we did was we, we colour coded the promotions list. Um, so we colour coded the males and the females. And it, and it, you know, could really highlight a complete, a very stark difference in terms of the people, the candidates that were being put forward. So just some really practical things that, you know, I think, um, people can do to really change the conversation and have a different approach. 
I really love that example. Just you know, just just showing that visually can then sometimes really bring to the forefront, you know, some of the issues in terms of you know the recruitment processes, etc. No doubt you probably saw a stark color difference in terms of the candidates being put forward, and then you're immediately able to able to address that in the in the right way. Absolutely, and you know, I think the the you know I I, I do want to be clear. This just isn't about this isn't just about gender diversity. Um, it's perhaps the perspective that I come at it from more personally. But, you know, I think there are many different aspects. And I, and I, do, I do genuinely believe that the majority of organisations now understand why it's important. Um, they're maybe all at different stages as to how they address it. But I think there's now much more full recognition of understanding that, you know, full diversity across a number of different areas is really important. So in your article for the December issue of the magazine, you look ahead to 2021 and what businesses can be doing to prepare for a return to some resemblance of a pre-pandemic life. Would you be able to share some of your high-level recommendations? Well, if it doesn't give it away for the magazine, I'm happy to. Um, (laughs) I, I guess the one thing I would say is that you know many of us have really developed our qualities of resilience and agility Um, And I think they'll be just as important as we start to rebuild um, post-pandemic world. Um, But certainly, as I said earlier, 2020 has has brought downsides, but has also brought significant positives. Um, And I think those businesses who succeed will proactively take the positives and embed those going forward, as opposed to going back to the old normal. And a critical part of understanding what those positives are is listening to a wide range of diverse views, which, if you haven't guessed by now, is one of my favourite topics. Catherine, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the CA Agenda podcast. Thank you for taking the time. It is much appreciated. If any members wanted to reach out to you um, and connect with you, how, how could they do so? Thanks, Indy. It's been a pleasure to join you today and obviously always glad to get feedback from members. Probably one of the best routes um, is via LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Catherine Burnett. I'm very happy for you to connect with me, but also message me if you have got any feedback for uh, myself or for ICAS. Thanks for listening to the CEA Agenda podcast. Join us next time when Indy will be in the hot seat answering questions put to him by ICAST Deputy President and guest host Bruce Pritchard.